times there's a lot of sorrow. If you've ever lost someone that means a lot to you, a lot of times the holidays can come around and kind of hit you. And so it can be a little tough, but uh, I say that because I've felt that way. And I know there's a lot of people in here that have lost someone. I personally uh, have lost my, my mother, my mom, and she was kind of that person that always made the holidays special. For some reason, somehow, she always made it happen. Uh, and later on, I learned that we didn't have a lot of the resource, resources to make it happen, but somehow she was able to do it. And so whenever the holidays come around, I always feel a little bit of sorrow because I miss her. And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to miss the person that you love that is no longer here. Um, and we can still have joy, right? And so that's what I want us to kind of concentrate on this morning, that is joy is still available. But one of the other things that I love about the Christmas season, that I've always loved about the Christmas season, is the movies. I love uh, some Christmas movies. And so what I want to do, right, just if you would participate with me for a second, just for a moment, if you could tell me what your favorite Christmas movie is, just shout it out if you have any idea. If you have a favorite Christmas movie, if you don't, whatever. The Grinch. Man, Christmas Vacation. A Christmas Story. Die Hard. <laughs> it is a Christmas movie, okay? We don't have to debate that right now. Any others? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a blockbuster. Anything else? Wow. That's it? Okay. Well, my favorite Christmas movie is The Grinch. I love The Grinch. I love it. I loved The Grinch as a child, and as I grew up, I realized that I loved it even more. And my kids actually call me The Grinch. All right? She calls, she calls me The Grinch. And I'm not sure if we've announced this yet, but I think next weekend uh, for the Christmas Eve service. I think we're, we're wearing pajamas. Is that right? If you want to wear Christmas pajamas, you can wear Christmas pajamas. My family and I, my house, right? <laughs> we will be wearing Grinch pajamas, okay? <laughs> let's, just, let's just put that out there. You can be expecting that we will be wearing Christmas pajamas. Um, but I, I love the Grinch. I lo As you get older, you realize that the Grinch wasn't such a bad guy at all, right? Like he has, you know, he was uh, he didn't like Christmas because the Who's, right, they had the wrong idea about what Christmas was about the whole time. You know, he goes on and has this argument with them about how all they do is want to receive and receive and receive. And he says, you know where your gifts end up? In the trash with me. And so, but I love the Grinch. All right, I love it. I could go back and forth and tell you all the, all the quotes, hate, 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 like all that stuff, right? Um, but in today's text, right, the reason I bring this up in today's text, we have a Grinch. There's a Grinch in today's text. And his name is King Herod. And just like the Grinch, King Herod has a heart problem, right? The Grinch's heart was two sizes too small. King Herod's heart is uh, it's hard. He has a hard heart. He has pride. Uh, he, he has uh, jealousy. He's insecure. He, he has all these things. He's angry. He's a, he's a tyrant. He's very malicious. Uh, he, he's Good at some things, but a lot worse at a lot more things, right? Beyond that, right, Herod was uh, a tyrant of a king. He killed three sons, right? Three of his own sons, he killed them. He killed two of his wives, and he killed a mother-in-law. And the reason why he killed these people, his family, is because uh, any chance that he thought someone was plotting against him to take his throne, he would murder them. 
right? And so that, that obviously didn't matter to him whether they were a family or not. Uh, and the list goes on and on, but those are uh, the family members that are on record that he, has, he, he murdered because he thought that they were plotting against him. And what we see in the movie The Grinch is that the Grinch is able to be cured, right? At the end of the movie, if you've ever seen the end, if you haven't, then we're probably not friends. Uh, at the end of the movie, the Grinch uh, is, is down with, with the Who's in Whoville, and he's singing and dancing with them, and he realizes that Christmas is about more than gifts. It's about more than food. It's about more than the de- decorations that we see that we have even here in church. It's about love. It's about family. It's about fellowship, about coming together. But Herod is not cured, King Herod. He's too insecure to bow down to someone that he believes is is coming to take his throne. He's too insecure to bow down to the king of kings, not just the king of the Jews. And so the question today, before we get into the text, I want you to kind of sit with, is who is on your throne? That's the question. Just sit with that. We'll come back to it at the end. But who is on your throne? Let's read in Matthew 2. We're going to be reading uh, from verse 1 to verse 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out, Uh, from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen uh, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So after King Herod, the second group of people that we meet are these magi, right? Magi or, or, or it may be translated as wise men, depending on what, uh, what type of Bible you're reading from, but tra- what translation. Uh, what we know is that they were uh, astronomers, right? And so you can replace that word or do whatever you want with it. They studied the stars. Um, they studied the future. And so whenever they see this star randomly pop up, they uh, were of Jewish heritage. And so they're able to remember the promise that God had given in the earlier text. And so a couple of things that you probably already know, um, as I was studying and kind of going through the text, that I uh, found that a lot of people talk about how everyone's nativity scene is wrong, right? If you have a nativity scene in your home, it's probably incorrect. Uh, there's people, you know, there's sermons all on it. If you've 
ever heard a Christmas sermon, you've probably heard it already, but there were probably more than three uh, magi, more than three wise men. It was probably a group, uh, a great group. And the only reason why we uh, say three wise men is because they brought three types of gifts. Um, They had, uh, again, Jewish heritage. They studied dreams, astrology, magic. They studied the future. They were a a well-respected group. They had roles in, in many different uh, areas, but mostly politics uh, and, and religion. They were very, very wealthy. Uh, these magi are coming onto the scene, and just by showing up, they bring trouble, right? The king, King Herod, would have never known that Jesus had been born if it weren't for the magi. And they come to Jerusalem, and they say, hey, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Right now, as so let's, let's step into King Herod's shoes for a moment, shall we? As the current king of the Jews, someone comes up to you and says, hey, where is the guy that's supposed to take your place? Where is your replacement? Where is the king of Jews? And King Herod's like, I'm, I'm the king of Jews. But now they say, who is the one who has been born king of Jews? And, and as you sense, he may not take too kindly to that. So like, would you, if someone came into your workplace and said, hey, where, where is your replacement? They've hired someone to take your place. If you're anything, maybe like, like Corey, right? If someone came and said that to Corey, Corey's like, well, let me know where he's at because I'd, l- I'd love to leave early, right? <laughs> Can you tell him to come on? We got, we got work to do. I'd love to, I'd love to get on out of here, right? But King Herod, he wasn't that way. He had too much pride in his throne, right, in his position. See, King Herod was neither Roman or Jew. And so his throne was the highest position that he was going to be able to hold. And he was willing to do anything to keep his throne, to keep his position. He was willing to do anything. We've already heard about the murder. But he would play both sides of the fence when it came to politics to make sure that he would keep his position because it was the highest Uh, honor that he would be able to have. King Herod's identity was in his throne. He was willing to do anything to protect his identity, to protect his idol, to protect his Lord. And when your identity is in what you do, whether that's where you live, where you work, how much you make, you can't truly worship the Lord. Unless your identity is in your salvation, you can never truly worship the Lord. You can't serve two masters, right? We'll read about that later in Matthew 6 in a couple months or a year whenever we get there because we're, we're, we're going through the book of Matthew, right? You can't be open to the love of Christ if you're too worried about protecting your treasure, right? You can't be open to the love of Christ if you're too worried about protecting your treasure, King Herod worshipped his throne. That was his treasure. So no, in no way would he ever be open to the love of Christ if he felt like Jesus was a threat to his throne, to his treasure. But the Magi come and they say, we, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi knew what to look for. They knew what to look for because it was their practice. 
They were astronomers. They loved looking up at the stars. That's all they did. They knew what to look for, but they didn't know where to go. They knew what to look for because of their position, but they didn't know where to go because of their relationship, right? They were influenced by Jewish culture and these teachings, but they weren't as knowledgeable as this next group of people that we're going to meet in the story. And in verses 3 to 6, it says, uh, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea. So they, they knew where Jesus was to be born, right? These are the religious leaders that enter into the story. They were priests and teachers of the law. Uh, the priests were mostly responsible for Jewish worship. They were corrupt. Uh, they bent the scripture to, to meet their needs, right? They bent scripture to mean whatever they wanted it to mean in that moment so that they could use it uh, for, their, for their own agenda, right? They were like religious politicians. And the teachers were responsible for Jewish law. They knew, they taught, and they interpreted all of the Old Testament law. They were like religious lawyers. Whether good or bad at what they do, um, that's, that's what they were like. Then King Herod asked, where is the Messiah to be born, right? He didn't ask the Magi, who had came to him, asking the same question. He said, no, I need to go to the people that have been studying scriptures since they were born, basically. And they are able to tell him because they know the scripture. They know the promises. They know all the prophets that talked about this day, this event that was to come, this moment that we were supposed to look forward to. This is when the Messiah, the king, would come and redeem all of Israel. But why didn't they go? If they knew where this king was to be born, why didn't they go to Bethlehem? Knowledge of Scripture isn't enough. I know that's crazy to think, right? We live in the South. We grow up in the Bible Belt, and everyone is able to quote some type of Scripture. You have Scripture on your walls. You have Scripture on your coffee cups. And can I tell you that it's not enough? You can call out Scripture by memory until the cows come home, right? I know where you are laughing. But if you have no idea what it means, you miss the point. There are so many people that are going to church on Sundays, right? That are doing everything on the checklist, but they're missing the point. They're missing the relationship. You can know Bible, you can know the Bible front to back, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it means nothing. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt, right? These religious leaders. Maybe they were just indifferent. Maybe they were busy schedules, didn't really, didn't really care, right? They, maybe it's the king. Maybe it's the one that was to come. Maybe not. We'll let them go find out. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But can I tell you something? Indifference leads to opposition. And we see this because we, we know the story, right? 
They go from being indifferent to opposing Jesus Christ to wanting to stone and kill Jesus Christ. And what does that lead to? That leads to rejection. Indifference, opposition, rejection. It's like a rabbit hole, right? From that very moment, they chose to reject Jesus. And from that very moment, Jesus will go on to say, Many will try to enter the kingdom, and I will say, I never knew you. And in Matthew 12, verse 30, Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever is not with me is against me. They did nothing. They knew exactly where Jesus would be born. They did nothing. And after this, King Herod calls the Magi back for an important mission. In verse 7 through 8, he says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Right? So without knowing the rest of the story, we're like, oh, King Herod just wants to go worship him too, right? He wants them to go make sure, right, get the address so that King Herod's not wasting too much time. He can put it in his GPS, right? And it'll be fine. But no, we've been able to read on and we know the rest of the story. So we can't blame the Magi for believing that his intentions are good, right? But his intentions are not good. We know that. We know that because King Herod would see Jesus as a threat and then want to kill him. This little baby Jesus, he wants to kill because he sees him as a threat. He lies about wanting to go and worship Jesus or anyone as king of the Jews. And the important thing to note here is that Herod, King Herod, Wanted to know, but he wasn't willing to go and find out for himself. He wanted to know, but he wasn't willing to go find out for himself. And some people, right, we all, we all know some people that will go as far as their minds will allow. That's not me. My lovely wife will go as far as her mind will take her in any situation. Right? Some people would call it overthinking, but she will just, she will just go. And we'll, we'll be talking about a situation uh, uh, you know, at night before bed, and, and I'm, just, I'm just like, okay, you know, this is good. We're able to talk at the end of the day, and, and Brittany will say, well, if, if they said this, or if they did this, and that could mean this, and then this could happen, and then we'll have to do this, and it's like, how did we get here? Because my, my mind is just blank, right? Some people will go as far as their minds will allow. And then other people, like me, have a PhD in minding my own business. All right, I, I am... I, well, I, hey, I didn't, I didn't say that. I, I was just talking about me. I have a PhD in minding my own business. Some, hey, there could be something... The next apartment over from us could be on fire. And, I, hey... That sound, that's, that's on them, right? I'm just, you know, I'm just here. I'm just trying, I just mind my own business. 
We have so many questions about God, but we're afraid to get close to him because of what it might cost us, right? There are so many people that are just comfortable in their lives the way that they are now. They're comfortable going out on the weekends. They're comfortable not coming to church on Sundays. They're comfortable just going through the motions, going through the weeks, working and looking forward to the weekend, and then the weekend ends too soon, and so they're back at work on Monday waiting for the weekend again with no purpose, with no love, because they're too afraid of what it might cost them to find out, to answer the questions that their soul has. Because if you know anything, our souls, we were created to worship the Father. And I was reminded on my way in this morning, uh, I was listening to my, to my Praise the Lord uh, uh, playlist and this song that I haven't heard in a while um, by the Sing Team. It's, they basically make songs out of psalms. And so make songs out of songs, right? And so it was, it's Psalm 42. It says, my soul thirsts for you. I, like a deer panting for water, my soul thirsts for you. It's one of my favorite songs. And we were created with that intention. We were created with our souls hungering and thirsting for the love of our Father. And until you find that love, nothing will ever satisfy you. Because these worldly creations, they will only lead you back to wanting more of these worldly creations. But whenever you taste just a, just a little bit of the living water, the satisfaction that comes from that, you won't need anything else. You won't need anything else. But as we go on, this encounter that the Magi have with, with, with baby Jesus, right, is exactly why we shouldn't wait. It's exactly why we should have this hunger to grow closer to Christ. So they use this star. The star, uh, by God's grace, leads them to Bethlehem, right over where Jesus is. Like the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night that we read about uh, that led God's people through the wilderness, now God leads people to his son with a star. It's incredible to note that God directed nature. He directed the stars to announce the birth of his son. He directed the stars to lead people to the Savior. It's just another reason why he is sovereign over all of the world, over all of his creation, he has control. And then it says, uh, after they heard from the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed when they saw the star because it was as if they were not alone. God was with them. God was leading them. They didn't have to worry because the God of the universe, the King of Kings, was on their side. He was leading them. He was guiding them. He was protecting them on this journey. They knew that they had a purpose. This journey has a purpose. And then, on coming to the house, all right, so let's stop there because this is another one of the nativity scene 
or errors or whatever. So this was likely uh, long after Jesus had already been born. Jesus would have been maybe uh, 13 to 24 months at this point uh, because it says, you know, they're no longer in the manger, right? It says uh, on coming to the house. So Jesus was at home in his baby room, right? Whatever that may look like, uh, you know, just chilling, maybe had a bottle, whatever, playing with some toys. Uh, and that's when they, they come to the house. So it, it would have been a little bit longer. So nativity scene, error, whatever. Oh, well. Um, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. These powerful and wealthy men bowing down and worshipping a baby, a child. They enter the house, and the first thing that they can do is fall to their knees and worship. Whenever I enter my house and I see a, a child or a baby, I see Titus climbing all over the walls, my first thought is not to bow and worship. But when these magi, these wise men, get to the house of Jesus, they see this baby and they bow and they worship. What does it mean exactly to bow down? What does, right? We know what it looks like to bow down, but what, what does it mean? They bow down to say, I am low and you are higher than I am. A baby, higher than I am. You are more superior than I am. You have more power than I do. This baby, this infant Jesus. And then it says that they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What we know is that these gifts, though they may have or may not have meant anything that they were, when they were giving them, gold represents royalty. As to say that this is, truly is, the king of the Jews, the king of kings, frankincense represents his deity or his godliness, the fact that he is the son of God. And myrrh represents his humanity, the fact that he is God, but he is also man. He struggled in every way that we struggle. He felt in every way that we feel. And the important uh, note on myrrh is that he was given myrrh as a baby, he was also given myrrh as he was being hoisted up on the cross and he said, I thirst. They gave him a mixture of what was water and also myrrh. And then he was also given myrrh in preparation for his burial. Burial? 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 After he had died, right? Excuse my, uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, but these gifts, right, these, these gifts are foretelling uh, but myrrh tells us the reason why he came. Jesus was born to die. He was born with the sole purpose to die for us. And if we go back, right, to Matthew 1, verse 21. It says this. 
uh, actually starting in verse 20. Uh, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. That is is exactly the reason why he was born. That was the purpose, to save us from our sins, to love us. He was born to love, and that love meant dying on a cross for our sins. God so loved the world that he sent his son to live a life, a perfect life of perfect obedience that we couldn't live, we can't live. And also to die a death that we deserve to die. We deserved his place on that cross. And he took it for us. But that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus would then raise from the grave in three days in victory over sin and death. So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We read that in John 3.16, right? But back to the question from the beginning. Who is on your throne? We see three different groups of people here in this story, and they all offer us a position. We have King Herod, the counterfeit king, is what some would label him as. He would do anything to keep control and sit on his throne. Whether that's killing, murdering, lying, stealing, Whatever he can do to keep his position on his throne, he will do it. And like us, there's some of us who aren't willing to give Jesus the keys to our heart. There's some of us who aren't willing to give up that place on the throne of our heart, the throne of our lives. We all have a throne. But who is sitting on your throne? Are you like King Herod? And you are willing to do anything to keep control of your life. Give control to Jesus. We're not able, we weren't created to sit on that seat. Are you like the religious leaders? Right? We said that they're indifferent. They're religiously disinterested. They could care less. They love scripture, but not the Savior. Right? They can memorize every single verse. They could call it out to you. But they have no relationship with the Father. I know all about Scripture, but I don't need to worship or to know the Father. I want to make the rules. I want to be king over my life. Like King Herod, it was all about control. King Herod wanted to sit on the throne. The religious leaders wanted to control whoever was sitting on the throne. They could care less about who it was. But with the Messiah coming, they knew that they could not do that. Are you like the religious leaders? Do you just want to control? Or are you like the wise men, the magi, right? They're not perfect, right? They didn't know where Jesus was to be born. They just knew that they saw a star. But they were open and they were were responsive to the sign. They were responsive 
to God. They put aside their pretense, their pre-beliefs, whatever they thought that they believed before, whatever they've heard about God, whatever they've heard about the church, Christians, whatever it may be, and they went to find out. They couldn't wait to worship the king, but they went and found out themselves. There's a lot of people that we know, right, that we meet on a day-to-day basis, on a daily and a weekly basis, that on the inside are screaming for just a bit of purpose, just a bit of love, just a bit of hope. And they're willing to go find out, but we have to direct them. We have to point them in the right direction. We have to show them that this love of God, this love that they don't know, that they are not, that they haven't experienced in all of their life is available. Invite them to church. Invite them to small group. Invite them to a conversation over lunch, over dinner. Because people are lost. And we cannot be satisfied with even one person not having a chance to go to heaven. Not having a chance to have a relationship. It's not even about heaven. Not having a chance to have a relationship with Jesus. If you've experienced any of the love of Jesus, it's worth everything that I have. And so much more. Like the wise men, we should be overwhelmed with joy and offer our worship, offer our lives, everything that we have and everything that we are to Jesus. Not only whenever we come in here on Sundays, but as we go out, at work, at home, and the conversations that we have, we should offer it all to Jesus. Lay it down before him because he is the king. And he deserves the throne. It is his throne. We all have thrones that we can't see, and the throne is our heart. But are you playing king in your life? Or is Jesus the king of your life? Who's the king? Because what what you may feel and what you may think that if there's another king, I may be held responsible. I may be held accountable for my actions, for my decisions. But if Jesus is truly the king of your life, then you'll understand, you'll grow to realize through discipleship, through uh, reading in the scriptures, through growing closer to Jesus, that no matter your decisions, love is still available. Love is still available. And what we can realize and understand is that Jesus didn't come to take King Herod's throne. King Herod was willing to murder for his throne. But Jesus left his throne in heaven to be murdered for us. It had nothing to do with King Herod's throne. Yes, Jesus was king of the Jews, but he was so much more than that. He came to be king of you, to be king of me. He came to reign supreme, and he already did. He came to give us an opportunity to grow in a relationship with him. Who is on your throne? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for everything that you are and everything that you've done. Thank you that even when you sent your son, 
to be born in Bethlehem, God, that you were showing your love for us. You send your son in love. And Jesus lived this, Jesus, you lived this perfect life in love. And you died on a cross and resurrected in three days because of love. God, I pray that as we go throughout this morning, that we would receive you. That we would respond to your word. That we would not take it with a grain of salt, God, but that we would meditate on it. Day and night, that we would allow your word to transform our hearts. We would allow your word to rest on our lips day and night, that whenever we would speak to someone, whenever we would interact with others, that they would be able to see your love. That we would direct people to your love. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.